our Community Virtual Library podcast station. We are honored today to have with us the early adopters of virtual worlds for libraries. Lori Bell, Barbara Gaelic, and Rhonda Truman were instrumental in founding what is now the Community Virtual Library. And they brought many librarians and educators from around the world into Second Life. We're excited to hear about those early days in virtual environments. So first off, I'm going to ask Lori Bell. Lori, what gave you the idea to begin the first virtual world library? How did you first start out in Second Life? And Lori's having some microphone issues, so we're going to let P. Ilios speak for Lori Bell. 15 years ago, early April 2006, in January, my boss has assigned a new position to me, Director of Innovation at Alliance Library System. My job was to keep abreast of new technologies and how they could be applied to, library, to libraries, to develop projects of this sort, and to get grant funding. I was not a regular Business Week reader, but I remember I saw it somewhere, and it was about real people earning real money in virtual worlds. It piqued my curiosity and next things I knew, I was setting up a second life again. I was not a gamer, had no experience in this type of thing. I got there and I was hooked. It was not like anything I have ever done before. I realized quickly, I have a lot of learning to do. The first thing I searched for libraries to see if anything existed. There were a couple, but nothing large and all encompassing. I started out with a small parcel of land and everything exploded. I had posted, posted this project in several lists and library publications, and all of a sudden, we had some wonderful volunteers who had ideas of their own. Soon I discovered we really needed an island. It was like a bus that kept sprouting head. It was fun, but so much work too. Abby Simi joined me early on. She had many ideas and was so working. She was appointed assistant director of the Alliance Second Life Library, early name. Public dancer worked at the library in my consortium. I handled her to try it and finally she gave up and tried it. It turned out her university was offering classes in Second Life and there was some expertise on campus. She started the first academic academic library. Thank you, P, for sharing that amazing story from Lori Bell. And I'm glad she brought up Puglet, who is Barbara Gaelic. Um, we hope that she'll be able to be with us so she can tell a little bit more about starting that first academic library in Second Life. And the next question we're going to address um, Abby, Rhonda here. Um, you were an early leader of what evolved into the Community Virtual Library. So how did the library change and what can you tell us about the history of CVL? Um, yeah, I started early when it was Second Life Library 2.0, isn't that right? I believe, Lori, 
It was SLL2 for a while until Linden Labs decided they didn't want people using the term Second Life in their names. So it was changed to um, Alliance for the regional library system that where Lori worked. And I just kind of early on, I was just a, a, a nuisance. I just at Lori's elbow all the time saying, let me help, let me help, let me help. <laughs> and she was so busy, so busy trying to get all this organized that it was hard for her to slow down enough to let me help. So I volunteered to do um, tours. I did tours of the library. I did tours of Second Life to show new librarians coming into Second Life the ropes. Show them how to get their clothes on, where to shop. Uh, show them that there was nothing to be afraid of. We would go to uh, Yanni's junkyard because there was always a griefer there who would try to you know, create some havoc. But it showed the new people that it wasn't scary. They really couldn't do anything to you. So then I developed into doing um, collection development with Carrie Metter Brooks. And then the library grew, as Lori said, it grew exponentially. It had, oh, I don't know, did we have like 16 different islands at one time that were either library or related to the library? And so Lori asked me to be the assistant director of the main core library ones and it was great fun and it was a lot of hard work like Lori said but I, I would have missed it for the world. So um, yes yeah, so it was uh, it was part of the alliance system of Illinois right and then mm -hmm. how did that kind of change and evolve into the name Community Virtual Library. Okay, when uh, we had the economic turndown uh, that affected libraries and schools and it affected Alliance too and they had a great amount of resources put into this and they could no longer maintain it. So we either had to just stop or let it continue. So we started a nonprofit community virtual library and so it could continue. And then we only had the one sin from that point on. Other people took the other sins, other people created nonprofits and several of those continued. But that's why we changed the name. So um, how do you feel about the future of virtual worlds? Do you see that there are, there's still some potential for libraries and educators to use virtual environments? I do. Um, I will always see the potential. I'm, I'm, I hate that it didn't rise to the level where I thought it would. Um, and I was kind of thinking with COVID and so much education having to be virtual that there might be a resurgence but i'm not sure i'm not involved enough to know if that has happened and the state of educators in the virtual worlds now 
Right. Um, I think we would probably agree, those of us that are here at the Community Virtual Library, P, Sue Moon, currently active, but also we're seeing that you know, Second Life isn't the only virtual world now, um, although it's still, I think, the best. Have you thought about um, going to any other virtual environments like the Open Sims or any other um, virtual spaces? Uh, before I answer that, uh, Bea had asked Lori, what did she think about the future of virtual worlds? And Lori said, they will continue to grow more and more popular. And I hope that's true. Lori was always our vision person. She saw all of this and made it happen. She says that she's not surprised there are not more out there like Second Life. She's curious about how virtual reality, like with the Oculus, will affect virtual worlds. And I know Val, you've done a lot of work in that. Yes, we do have a group called the um, the VR Exploder Club, and it was supposed to be Explorers, but someone had a typo, and they liked that it said Exploder, so they kept the name. It was just a typo. And um, once a month on the second Friday, no, wait a minute, the third Friday of the month, and that's this Friday, the 15th, um, a group of educators go exploring in VR with or without their VR headsets. And uh, this Friday, they're going to sign space, um, but it's always a different VR environment. But I think most of them would agree that Second Life is still way better than what you can get with a VR headset because there's no tools. You feel like your hands are tied behind your back. Often voice is difficult, chat is difficult. You cannot import and create your own content like you can here in Second Life. So, so your work as early adopters in Second Life was really way more advantageous and exciting for education than what's happening now all those years later with a VR headset, where you're simply an observer rather than an active participant. Um, so I think a lot of people think that Second Life does still have great potential. And what you said, Abby, about people coming in due to COVID, we have seen a little rise in educators being excited about virtual environments. And um, that's why we began something called the Virtual World Education Consortium. So people could talk about the obstacles that they have faced over this last decade. And I'm thinking you came in, it's been, what, about 15 years ago? Is that when you probably came into Second Life? How long ago was it? it was 2006. Um, we got Info Island, I think, in June 2006, somewhere around there. Right, so it's been 15 years. I came in in 2006 as soon as I heard about it, but I had a, a low graphics card that would not support Second Life. So. It was a year later that I actually was able to come in, even though my res day says 2006. And that really mm -hmm. speaks to accessibility. And we still have that issue. We have a lot of educators that now their students only have Chromebooks or you know, iPads or tablets, mobile devices. And that's been a struggle, I think, for virtual worlds all along is the, the hardware accessibility, as well as good internet speed. Um, 
how do you feel about uh, that issue of accessibility and how it impacts libraries and learners? Do you think that's still a problem? I think it is. Um, a lot of students that are in college now that are having to do virtual education, they struggle with just having the basics. Uh, being able to have an internet connection and a computer that will work and a microphone and a speaker. So there's still a big digital divide in this country. And that, that's really hard for educators. Absolutely true. We so agree with that statement about accessibility. And we also have another concern that, w that we brought up at the Virtual World Education Consortium, and that's that there are just too many options for educators. I think that, you know, Second Life was predicted, and you probably remember back with the Gardner report, I think it was, early on that everyone would have an avatar by um, by 2010, you know, that was just going to take off. But it didn't because of the, I think, because of the rise in mobile apps. There are so many apps for education that are very inexpensive, and educators went to mobile apps rather than immersive learning environments where these have so much more potential for critical thinking and for, you know, dynamic, sustainable spaces to be in with your avatar. So it's, it's, um, it's kind of a struggle to get people still to, uh, to come into these wor worlds. And what do you think about the, the phrase? We've heard it, you heard it in 2006, 7, 8, 9, and we still hear it, the steep learning curve of Second Life. Do you think that's still a big obstacle? It is. I think it's a worse obstacle than it used to be. Things have improved so much, like our avatars, the mesh, and all that, but it makes it twice as hard to pull your avatar together and, and to look presentable. If you want to look your best, you don't want to look like a newbie. Um, I think the learning curve is even steeper. And just that part, that has nothing to do with education, but people get frustrated and give up because there's too much there. Uh, Rolig Loon, who worked with CVL for a long, long time, uh, actually does some scripting now for Linden Labs. And she's a big cheerleader. You should do a podcast with her sometime and talk about the learning curve and the new features of her life. Lori, um, mentioned that inaccessibility still being a problem and she talked about the disabilities which is uh, visually impaired and how Second Life is wonderful for many people who have chronic conditions or deaf, homebound, can't walk, that kind of thing, and, but people with visual problems, there's not much help yet. Great, great. Thank you, P, for letting Lori know um, the topic. But and we do partner a lot with Gentle Heron over at you know Virtual Ability because she deals a lot with that, um, with the accessibility issues. And they, Second Life can really be helpful for people with disabilities. I love that you mentioned Rolig, and I will definitely contact her about a podcast. She's been uh, really instrumental in in the. Um, in, in the continued success of the community virtual library and contributed so very much, you know, to, to that. Um, and I, I think you're right. It's still a, it's still a, 
a tough uh, technical journey for people to be able to embrace virtual worlds. You've got to really master, you know, the interface. And but it um, it has just so many um, benefits for, for for learning, I think. And Lori was saying, I see in the text that holodecks are popular here. And um, I think as this evolves, and Lori is a very futuristic thinker, and that's why I think she was just jumped into Second Life really early on. Um, we're, we're still working on the idea of holodecks. We're going to do a, a book club with uh, one of our librarians in Hawaii that actually was a student, you probably remember Adra at the University of Hawaii. One of her students, Dawn Graymist, is going to be building some sci-fi holodecks for us to do book um, book clubs sort of within a setting of, of sci-fi. Um, and I think that gives the, uh, the reader and the learner that immersive feeling of entering the book rather than simply reading the book. And as librarians, uh, do you kind of see that as, a, as an enhancing reading by being able to be together inside um, a simulation? How do you feel about, about that, Abby? We did that, you know, um, from the very beginning, we tried to make it as immersive as possible. The science fiction area was in a big uh, UFO. We had book groups where one of the early ones, uh, well, not that early, but 2008, uh, Stephen Harris, who was Stalano Barbosa, led one, Beowulf versus Grendel, and we did it in a medieval tower and had a roaring fire and banners and arms and things like that. So that's that's the beauty of these worlds, that you can be immersed into whatever you're studying or reading. So true. And um, it, that leads us to another obstacle. You can build these great immersive story settings, but there are just so many worlds now, and it's hard for everyone to know what's going on in each world and to connect and find those simulations. And CVL has always struggled with keeping a current up-to-date list of simulations, because there's nothing worse than going to a, you know, a ghost town and you think it's going to be great and there's no one there and, and it's no longer active. Um, was that a struggle early on as well, trying to keep up with what people are building and what's still active? I don't think it was as much of a struggle for us in the beginning because we were concentrating on what we were doing mostly. We did provide links to other worlds and things that would be interesting um, outside of the library, but we didn't have, I don't recall having that problem. Uh, Lori, answered your question about immersion and stimulations by saying she thinks those are wonderful that it's a wonderful way to learn she did some simulations for nursing students in second life with public health and they really enjoyed it she's also taught immersion courses through san jose state and we i'll add that we also taught uh, for credit library courses in Second Life at one time through a university of, oh shoot, I can't remember. <laughs> it's in Illinois. Urbana. Champagne? Yes. Champagne, yes. yes. Oh yes. Some of those. I remember you were um, very active. And 
it's very exciting for those that enjoy the immersive learning and adding virtual reality on top of that is awesome. Uh, what is the, I guess, that group you were talking about looking at in terms of virtual reality? Um, oh, that is from, I'll type it in text chat. That is from San Jose State, too. Um, it's, uh, they have a group here in Second Life called Vicara with, with uh, Pat Franks. The, it's the Virtual Center for Archives and Records Administration. And they, um, they, we work with them. Um, several CVL librarians were interested in trying out VR. And so, um, and we collaborate with San Jose State still to this day here in Second Life. And so it's the VR Exploder Club that meets, um, meets the third um, Friday each month and um, and so they do uh, they still have a presence here in Second Life over at San Jose State University and they um, they're interested really in in kind of wh where this is evolving in the future and um, for most of us we see and let's see how you feel about this if you agree we are really starting to believe that Second Life is virtual reality it's just without a headset you are in a, a virtual space that you are feeling is your reality because you're embodied within it with others and to me i feel just as fully immersed here as i do when i have on my headset it's just i'm more comfortable with that little bit of distance between my head and the screen rather than being kind of trapped inside a bubble where i don't have my keyboard and my uh, my tools maybe that will evolve right. to where it'll be easier in the future but for now i feel like this is part of virtual reality um how do you i mean there's so many definitions of virtual reality but would you agree that this really is a way to view virtual reality Oh, I've, all, I've always thought that. It's as close as you can get without going through, you know, the headset and all that. And there's a lot of drawbacks to that. And someday it may, you know, evolve and we'll be in our Ready Player One place. <laughs> but right now, I enjoy Second Life the way it is. Exactly. I think I think we um, agree with that. And it could evolve to where you have all the tools. But right now, in order to build your own content, you have to have, you know, understanding of Unity or Unreal Engine or these other complex, you know, programs that you can import. And that's, that's, you know, here, anyone can build. And that's one of the beauties of, of Second Life, that all the tools are in one spot. Right. I, I remember giving a presentation to the business faculty at the university that I was working in when I was beginning all this and explaining to them how students could come in and create their own business and create their own products and market their own products and manage all that and it was, you know, make real world money possibly and it would be a great learning experience for them and I talked for like 45 minutes and at the end of it firsthand that when I got said yes, you mean you can fly? <laughs> so it, it, it's really hard for people to grasp. It always has been. Yes, it is. It's they they go to that. Um, well, and that's part of the VR hype too. Um, one of the colleagues at San Jose State University calls it the wow factor. You go in and put this mm -hmm. headset on, and you're looking up at the sky, the ceiling, and looking around you, going wow. But then you can't really do anything. It's just wow, you know. <laughs> and in order to embed real learning, 
you need to be able to put curriculum in there where the learner is actually moving forward to something rather than just achieving a little goal within, you know, within the game of that little bubble. Uh, Lori, also, when you were talking about SJSU partnership, that began, you know, early on. And um, she also wanted to say that CVL has had wonderful dynamic leadership, which is why it's still here. And Abby and now Val and the other volunteers who are involved and congratulations. I'd like to also mention Rocky. Um, boy, my mind is just slipping today. <laughs> oh, Rocky. Rocky and Hypatia. And, yes, Rocky Vallejo, Hypatia, Deja Vu. Yes. Deja Vu, yeah, because they uh, were critical in the early days through CVL and until we um, turned it over to you, Val. Yes, and um, I'm glad you mentioned their names. They are on our Walk of Fame. We're trying to get a little bio of all those that really paved the way for virtual world libraries. And, you know, you, you started out with a vision, and um, it's like there's a lot of factors to that vision that somehow uh, keep evolving and changing, and one of them is, you know, I read this article years ago that I've quoted many times. There's a difference between a library and a librarian. And we're not just here to put resources in a little spot at like a, you know, it's not like a physical library. The communities and the people and the simulations, those are the resources. And as librarians, we have to think outside the box and, and pool all these people together and help them that's our role as a virtual world librarian, not to simulate a library with little books on a bookshelf and then just link those to the Gutenberg, you know, project. Uh, we, don't, you know, we don't need to just link to websites. You can do that on your own on the web. What can a virtual world librarian do that you cannot do other places? It's what we're doing right here. It's like bringing people together as the resources, people and communities and um, and simulations. And so we're sort of evolving into exploring what is a virtual world librarian. And you all were the first to do that. But do you kind of see that as something that is continuing to evolve? Uh, yes, we, you know, we, Lori had a reference desk and the very first library that she rented space for. <laughs> And then as soon as we had Info Island, we had a reference desk and that moved to a reference area. And the librarians and non-librarians who helped it, um, EVL and CVL, both kind of gathered there when they were online and people would stop by to ask questions from a school question a reference, what we consider a real reference question to, you know, how do I get my hair on right? Uh, and there was always somebody around that could help somebody with the various things they needed. Uh, Lori says we had such a great variety of people involved, interested in different things, various expertises. No one can be good at everything in Second Life, so you had to pick and choose even if you're not here a lot. So that ties into, you know, the reference desk and our group and the different skills people had and even as far back as me taking people on tours because just to get accustomed to it 
and then grow is is what it took for the librarians. Absolutely, I totally understand. Do you have any particular memories of obstacles that were really hard during those times? Uh, you know, what what was it like to you know to uh, to achieve your goals? Were there any really big problems you had to face? Uh, the the problems were things that we look back at and laugh. Now, Rocky and I made a pact that we would never do any building after eleven p.m our time because that's when we made the biggest mistakes. I think we all had a boo-boo where we made a building disappear or made a sin disappear. And thank goodness there's a backup for that kind of thing. Uh, but that was, it was, that was a big learning curve beyond just being able to walk and sit and dance and clothe your avatar. It's learning to build. And we were all new and none of us knew how to do that. We had great success after in a few boo-boos. <laughs> yes, and it, it must have been super exciting because there's it was so new at the time. And to be able to accomplish that and then have a big building and structure and people, it must have been a really exciting time to be in virtual worlds. It was, and uh, Alliance was expanding. We had so many Sims going on. And Lori was in charge of all this, and she was flitting from one sim to the other, working with this group and that group, trying to get things done. And she would, you know, fly in for a meeting, and she had all these ideas, and she's just wonderful. And then she would go on to the next, and Rocky looks at me, and I'm like, well, what are we doing? <laughs> so uh, communication was hard, even then, even though we had you know, groups in Second Life, we had email groups, uh, communication was always a barrier, making sure everybody's on the same page all the time. Lori adds that money's always been a challenge, but it's amazing how much you have accomplished with little money. Yes, some of the problems are still going on that you had in in the beginning, and I think the communication problem has even become harder because um, everyone uses so many digital um, communication tools now, like social media and um, Discord and Skype and uh, Zoom and all these communication channels as well as email and then all the in-world groups. So it's that has become even more of a struggle instead of less of a struggle. But you mentioned um, the uh, how, how exciting it was to kind of pool your talents with, with Lori and all of her great ideas flitting here and there and you and Rocky kind of getting stuff done but not wanting to work way past your you know into the night and it's like that um that brings to the idea I really have begun to come to feel and the the leaders of CVL now are really looking at how to better collaborate across people because no one can do it all in these environments everyone has different strengths and talents and it sounds like you learned that early on did you all like realize you had you, your own individual strengths that you pulled into this team yes we we had people who were um, very much library they were here to provide reference and, and resources and then other people were here to you know they were interested in the experience part of it like doing book talks and 
immersive experiences and other people found they enjoyed building or scripting. And we drew a lot of people who were not librarians and not related to the library, but they believed in what we were doing and wanted to help. Yes, I think that must have clearly come up in the beginning. Not everybody wants to script or build or talk and do presentations. And what about voice? Because I know initially there wasn't any voice and there was a bit of a reluctancy to even move toward using voice in Second Life. Can you, can you tell us about that change? Um, it was difficult because we did most of our um, meetings and presentations and, you know, with text typing and not everybody was on board. Not everybody wanted to use voice at all. Um, so we would end up doing both. We would have it pre-scripted and it'd be kind of like what we're doing here because not everybody has the sound or the microphone. So you were doing typing and talking. It made it a little bit more difficult. I tried voice. I can use voice, but it's not my preferred way of communicating or to use the text. I think that's understandable. Everybody has their preferred modes, and, um, and it's great that we can use these tools in all these different ways. Um, can you think back to any particular projects that stand out as like a highlight that you just felt like it was a really great um, accomplishment or something that happened that you just particularly thought was um, was a good example of what a virtual world library can do. What are some of your favorites? I just typed that Lori because I would like to hear her give us her idea of that. For me, while she's typing, uh, the she said our first our island. Um, was the creation of some of the art museums and music venues uh, where we could both enjoy Second Life, dancing, talking, that kind of thing, but we also had the ability to link to things that educated. She says our first island, which would have been Info Island, and a number of involved volunteers, some of the health projects like Virtual Ability Health Info Island, and the immersive environments like Renaissance Island. Those are all a lot of fun. I, I was not involved with the the health um, or Renaissance other than attending some of the programs. We concentrated mostly on the, the library, infotainment, info island. Uh, yeah, I created a little group called Peace Park. And it was just a little area. It had a tiny church, a tiny mosque, a tiny, oh, I don't know. It represented several different religions. And we had a meeting there. And we would talk and get people to speak. So that, that was really the first thing I did as far as building something on my own. I was determined I was going to do it all by myself. So, yeah, I was kind of proud of that. Um, helping libraries get started in Second Life, Lori had an island uh, library, which was virtual library space. So libraries, people from libraries who came to Second Life and wanted to put their library, 
their public library, their academic library, whatever, in Second Life, they could rent a space on that stem and create their own library and promote it and have events if they wanted to. Helping educators get involved and the collaborative nature of all we did, the partnerships. That's what Lori's most proud of, and I'm proud of it too, and proud to have been a part of it. Absolutely. We're so appreciative of hearing about those early days and what it was like. And we're just, um, it was just incredible that you were able to accomplish so much and dive into virtual environments early on. And who knows where, where it's going to lead, but I think it, it paved the way. One other problem we have is documenting all of that, you know, and archiving it. Uh, and that's a library problem. I know um, some of the early machinima um, libraries, we, we put some of it on something called Blip TV, and that went under, and those, those videos are completely lost. We have quite a bit of documentation on YouTube, photos on Flickr, and um, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like, you know, there's, some of it has been archived. I hope that people will be able to look back and see what you were able to accomplish during the early days. Um, do you have your own kind of collection of uh, photos and things like that to document? Um, I have thousands probably of photos and other people do too. Also, after um, you took over uh, the managing CVL, after I got a little bit of a break, Rocky and I started a timeline, so an historical view, So because we, we knew we would forget this. So we started this and Worked on it for a few months and things in real life got kind of hairy for me and we never finished it or got it formatted into a good format that we could publish. But now that I'm retired, I may work on it somewhere. That would be awesome because it is such an important historical uh, time for libraries in digital culture when everything was changing and you, you played such a role in that. So um, if CVL can help in any way in, in you know, with that uh, housing any archives from, from the past, please let us know. It's, it's, it's hard to gather them all when everyone, like you say, might have thousands of, of pictures. Yeah, I was going through my emails and getting information on the meetings we had and on islands when they opened and you know I just have like a zillion emails in my Abbey account so I was going through those month by month it was really it was tedious <laughs> but I enjoyed doing it Excellent. Excellent. And, you know, I really hope that we can follow up this podcast and get a hold of Puglet, who was, I believe you said she um, was instrumental in bringing the first academic library in Second Life. Is that is that kind of her role with uh, CVL? She started uh, the Bradley University Library, and they already had a presence on um, Second Life, so she started that library, and it was the first academic library, and they had their own sim. In fact, after we gave up Info Island during all the changes, they hosted CBL for a long time. 
Yes, they certainly did. We were we remember being on Bradley Island for a good while before we um, we became a project of um, we became a project of uh, New Media Arts, and uh, and then we moved over to, to Cookie. So CVL uh, has been through several different. Uh, well, sponsorships, I could say, are different groups that have sort of partnered with CVL to help the, um, the library survive. And, and we hope that it will evolve in the future. And, and we really want to preserve that rich history that you all um, founded, you know, years ago, back in around 2006. So thank you for sharing that, um, that rich history with us. And we want to, um, to archive it in whatever way we can. For, for the future. So would you be interested maybe in, in following up if we if we get a hold of Barbara Gaelic and, and maybe um, come up with, and I'd like to get Lori's uh, voice on a podcast when her voice is fixed. So perhaps we can follow up and do another podcast another day. Sure, that'd be great. I also want to say, um, I really appreciate all the people who have stuck with this all this time like sue who's in the audience so to speak uh she's been with us for a long long time and she is still volunteering and doing a great job and there's so many people there's no way i could name them all but i really appreciate their um sticking to it and continuing on with what we started i basically backed away from it after you took control not for any reason relating to CVL or you, but because my actual real life library job became an issue for the last few years. So now that I've retired, I'm not going to say I'm going to volunteer again, but I might work on those histories. But I really appreciate the, the work you all have done and continue to do and all the people who are still with the library after all these years. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And because you all were excellent mentors. And I think that's one of the goals we have now is to mentor some of the new librarians coming in so they will know what was done in the past and will best be able to um, integrate virtual um, different virtual environments into libraries because you know, our, our technology has really revolutionized learning and we, we want to uh, continue being early adopters and explorers of how that can, you know, how that can continue in the future. Thank you again for a great, uh, a great um, podcast and for both of you Lori being here. Lori says, thank you for inviting me. I will try to get a microphone working and she appreciates being included and wants to know if you're doing anything for the 15th anniversary coming up. Um, and which 15th anniversary are you are you speaking of? Are you talking about for CVL? I, that probably goes back to 2000, yeah, April 2006, when it all began. April 2006, okay. Well, we would love to talk with you about that, and we'll get in touch with Lori. Um, We'd love to do something. Yeah. So I I'll got a note that on April the 14th, there was an announcement from Lori on the first organizational meeting in Second Life. <laughs> awesome. We, we, will, we will be planning something and we'll, we'll uh, see what we can do. Maybe, um, maybe you know somebody, too, that would be 
uh, they would like to kind of plan a, a really fun big event. I think you had a, a December kind of almost like a little reunion party. It was very well received. I saw some people I hadn't seen in years. We had a lot of fun. It was kind of a fellowship of the avatars. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So um, maybe some of them would want to be involved since they were early active in CVL. Um, we can follow up on that and see what, what, what would be really fun to do, a celebration. I think it's, it's really interesting to note, and I don't have it in front of me, so I can't tell you who's doing what now, but many of the librarians who were with us at the beginning have gone on to be uh, directors or have very high-level jobs in libraries. I think that's interesting. I think it would be great to interview people to see how they felt their involvement in Second Life virtual libraries improve their real life jobs. <laughs> right, absolutely. I can see that since it really um, helps you to, to think about evolving, you know, um, information literacy and just the world of libraries, how, how much it changed um, since you were early involved in the Community Virtual Library, Alliance Library System and Second Life. So um, thanks again. It was wonderful hearing your great memories of the history of the Community Virtual Library.